0: I could ask you to please turn with me your Bibles to Isaiah chapter forty-four for our Old Testament reading. And we are going to be talking all about that exchange that takes place, all about idolatry. And we just need to see the 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 futility in it, the foolishness in it, how silly it is, and yet this is exactly what people do each and every day. This is what we did before Christ. And sometimes even now we're tempted to do. But Isaiah paints a wonderful picture. I mean, it's a bleak picture, but it's a a clear picture of this idolatry that takes place. So Isaiah chapter 44, beginning in verse 9. Actually, we're not going to just do 9 and 10. We're going to read a little bit more than that. We're going to go 9 to 20. Hear the words of the Lord. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit them their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. He who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing, behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them assemble, let them stand forth, let them be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions with his hammers and works it with a strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He makes it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it, warms himself, kindles a fire, bakes bread, and he also makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol, and he falls down before it. Half of it he burns on the fire. Over the half he eats his meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god, his idol. He falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and he says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and I have eaten. And I shall make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? What a picture of idolatry. And that's, in essence, what we have in Romans 1. So turn with me to Romans chapter 1 in our section that we've been looking at for the last few weeks, Romans 1, 18 through 23. Paul says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their minds, futile in their thinking, and foolish in their heart, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In exchange, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and uh, creeping things. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their heart. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we come before you and seek you, Lord God, and ask that you would bless this time and your word, Lord. I pray that our hearts would be attentive to your precious word, that we would learn, that we would grow, that we would feel the conviction where we need to, Lord God. Be encouraged where we ought to be encouraged, Lord God. Continue to grow in our love for you, our hatred of sin, Lord God, and our willingness to continue to fight the good fight Christ has put before us. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. This title simply called The, the uh, Sinful Exchange. You know, in this section, we've been talking about how we refuse to honor God. He's made a plan. You can go back and listen to the last few sermons. Um, we do not give him thanks. We become futile in our thinking. That's our worldview. We talked a lot about that last week, how our worldview affects how we do things, how we perceive things, how we act, what we believe in and so forth. Uh, our darkened hearts believing ourselves to be wise, and that we talk about the foolishness that's all around us. We just see it very plainly. Today we're going to talk about the fact that we worship. All of us worship God. We worship something. Not God, I'm not going to say that. We worship. We are inherently religious. All of us, right? We all worship something. It's just a matter of what or whom. And this is throughout history, the Old Testament, New Testament, ancient history, modern history. We are worshipers, right? It doesn't matter from crass to to very like falling down before a block of wood to very sophisticated forms of idolatry. We worship. We're made to worship. From primitive, can be very primitive, to advanced worship. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you go. You can go to the deepest parts, the deepest jungles of Africa or South America, and you will find people that worship. You can go to the most metropolitan area and you will find people who worship, whether they're bowing down before a block of wood or worshiping at the altar of science and academia. That's kind of where we find ourselves today, isn't it, right? It shows, when we worship, it shows that we are image bearers of God. That is something we have in common. That's something that sets us apart from the rest of creation, from the animals. They don't gather and worship. We we do. People worship and are accountable. It shows that we're image bearers. It also shows that we're accountable to God in our heart of hearts. That's what we've been talking about these past few weeks. We do know him. Absolutely. The idea behind idolatry, which Paul's talking about here, he says they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. The idea behind idolatry is just this. I want you to get this this morning. There's going to be several... Ideas that I just want you to hold on and, and remember and think about as we go through this and, and even throughout this day. The first thing is this, is that the idea behind idolatry is that you, when you are exchanging God's truth for a lie, you are giving what rightly belongs to God to something or someone else. That's the heart of idolatry. What, what belongs to God, you are taking that and you're giving it to something Or someone else. It's the most, on the most basic level, on the heart level. So if it's worship, reverence, a sense of importance, the things that you find so important, where you give your time, where you give your energy, where you give your attention, where you give your devotion, your resources, your obedience, your dependence, your love, all these things show where your heart actually is at and what you may be worshiping instead of the true and living God. Now, it's not bad to have devotion towards others and do good things for others, absolutely, but that flows from our worship of God. It's not worshiping these things to gain something from them, right? You serve, you sacrifice what you love. That's, that's where your heart is. And here we have the the sad, and I think it shows the sinfulness, the sinful exchange of God's glory for a lie, the the creator for creation. And that word exchange, when he says they have exchanged the glory of the immortal God, to exchange just means means what it says. It's it's to trade one thing for another. It's to make an exchange. It's to replace something. You take one thing and you replace it with another thing. And the idea behind this, This is where we're culpable. Like people say, oh, the poor people, they don't know better. They really don't know. Listen, they know. That's something you have to get. It's hard to understand that. How can they know? God made himself known. That's what we've been talking about. People are not off the hook when it comes to knowing and acknowledging God. And that's what we need to understand. That exchange takes place. That word is active. It's an active word. You're doing it. It's something that you, you do it very intentionally. You do it deliberately. And it means there's culpability that you are actually guilty of doing that. They worship, people worship, but they refuse to worship the living and true God. That's what Paul is getting at. They've replaced the glory of the immortal God and they've traded in. Understand, that worship is active rebellion against and rejection of God. Make no mistake about that. There's nobody who's innocent and pure, like just kind of doing what they do. Oh, I didn't know. In their heart of hearts, they know God has made himself known. The exchange takes place at a heart level. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Now know this, that most, it doesn't matter, man, the most religious, the most spiritual person, you know, who's an unbeliever, right? They could be very religious. They could be very spiritual. The best person you know, the nicest person you know, the most helpful unbeliever doesn't want the true and living God. Let that sink in. Because we're a lot of nice people and a lot of people that do a lot of really good things, but they don't want the Lord. They still reject him. They've already made that exchange. They exchange the truth of God for a lie, as Paul says. How can you know? How can you know? Just be honest about God. You can know, you'll see that exchange when you're just honest about God to whoever you speak to, to any unbeliever. Again, the most religious, the most spiritual, the nicest, the kindest person. Sometimes they do better than actual Christians do, right? They might be nicer in some ways in that way. But, you know, just be honest about God and their reaction will tell you everything you need to know about the exchange that they've already made in their hearts right? People want gods of their own making. Get that down and understand that. We want gods of our own making. We don't want to serve the living and true God. So go ahead, explain to those people. All you have to do is explain the nature of God. Just be honest about God. Just tell them what the Bible teaches about the nature of God, about the attributes of God and who he is, about the sovereignty of God. Go ahead, tell them. Tell them about the commands of God. The demands that he has, God demands certain things. He not only commands, tell them about their sinfulness, tell them that he's the only way of salvation, and you're going to see that exchange expressed in rejection of you, and it speaks to the rejection of God. It just does. Sometimes it's very subtle. They might, like in Acts 17, they'll just kind of maybe walk away from you and, okay, maybe we'll talk later. Oh, maybe, maybe not. Other times it'll be very hostile towards you. How dare you say that? How can you say those things? That's the exchange that's already taken place because we want to worship our idols and not the living and true God. They exchanged the glory of God for the immortal God for um, creeping things, for man, for idols. That's how you can know. Tell your religious friend. Go ahead. Tell your your spiritual friend who's wonderful with the earth, and maybe a new age or another religion. You tell that person of the exclusivity of, exclusivity of salvation in Christ alone, and see what happens to that religious friend of yours. They're not going to be. You know, they're going to. You're going to become the presumptuous one. You're going to be narrow, right? Hey, as long as you practice what you really believe in, then that's going to find a place with God. See, that's kind of that exchange. You've known that that exchange has already taken place. So you see this exchange every single day in our interactions with people all around us. You'll see that they've made that exchange. This is what Paul is talking about. Go to that nice friend of yours. Talk to that nice friend. And and with all their good works, all the kindness, and they can be, and they may be very kind, but you have to tell that friend, for all your kindness, for all the good works that you do, how gentle your disposition is, that can't save you from hell apart from Christ. And then see how nice that friend continues to be to you. That exchange has already taken place, man. That ex- that's, that's the heart of that. That's, that's They've taken the living God, saying, no, 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 I don't want you. Here's the God that I want. And they construct that God. Tell the moral person, that moral person that you know in life, tell them one man and one woman for life. No sex before, no sex outside of marriage. And see how that moral person reacts to you. Oh, that's too much. Oh, that's too good. No, we don't go there. Right? That exchange has taken place. They don't want the living truth and it comes out in their everyday disposition and the choices they make. Idolatry is that exchange. That exchange, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man, birds, and creeping things. This is it. Exchange is made. Listen, idolatry. In the end, that exchange is all about the worshipper. True worship is all about God, and that's what we come to do. That it's all about the Lord. That's why we worship Him. Our worship, devotion, sacrifice to obtain something, to receive. What you perceive will bring happiness, joy, peace, and contentment. That's what idolatry is. You trade that in. I don't want this God. It's too much for me, but here's what I want. Here's what what I'm hoping will bring me the kinds of things that I desire, that peace, that happiness, that sense of contentment. So what people do is they construct and serve false gods all day long. Why do you think we have countless religions? Do you know how many religions there are in the world? Thousands of different religions. Thousands of different movements right? Hundreds of different philosophies that are out there. People are constructing their own gods because they've exchanged the truth of what they know about God for a lie. They're worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. That's what's going on all the time. That's why we need the gospel. That shows that they know God, but they really don't want the true God. They might even say, oh, I'm looking for God. Nobody's really searching for God. You want to construct a God that's going to give you what you desire, what you want, and not the true and living God. How do you know? Bring the picture of the true and living God before them and see what happens. Look at the reaction that they're going to give you. Look how they're going to treat you. Look how they're going to come at you. You know this before you were a believer. A lot of you did this and you played that game, didn't you? You, you knew the Bible maybe better than some of your Christian friends. And then you would talk to them about that and say, no, 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 I don't believe in, in that God. How could you believe in a God who does this and who does that and who does the other thing? Listen, the heart. John Calvin said the heart is an idol factory and we just turn out those idols all the time. We're tempted to do that even as Christians, to look to something or someone else to find comfort, to find hope, instead of keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord. That's a temptation for us, isn't it? We look to a certain person and not necessarily the Lord. I love God, but I'm looking to this person to really bring me that comfort and that peace. Or I'm going to go to that place over there where I find comfort and peace. And we we fail, we struggle with looking to God. We need to watch our own hearts in terms of that. In the exchange, we're told that they worship the creature, the created things, the things that are derivative. Can you imagine? It's so, what an insult it is to God that we worship the things that are made by God, right? And hold them, like we read in Isaiah, there's that idol. He makes that idol out of the wood and, and falls down before that. We do that all the time. We worship that which is derivative and not the original, not the not the creator so so from nature itself, people worship nature, we write about that in Isaiah in different ways, to the laws of nature. so if you want to talk about science and the modern sciences, the you know we we are worshipping to other people to to a profession, whatever you're chasing, whatever you're looking for, we give honor and glory to the thing, that thing instead of to God, who made those things, how insulting that is,. Right? So you build a house, or you have a house, and it's a beautiful house. It's like giving glory to that house. Oh, this is such a beautiful, look at this house. This house is amazing. Again, you can love, and you can appreciate the house, but who really deserves the credit for that house? God, right? But in our, in our even our illustration, who deserves, like, the builder, man. Who designed that house? Does that person get the credit? I designed this house. I built this house, and yet it's just a house. That's you know. Oh, what a lovely house! Thank you, house, for being such a great house. You know, that's how God is up there. You know, no credit here. Everything given to. Do you understand? That's what we do. We don't even acknowledge the designer, the creator, in that way. We worship the thing instead. So they give worship, and listen to this. This is another important idea about this exchange that takes place. They give worship. In order to get back, in order to meet a need, in order to fulfill a desire, in order to kind of get permission to do as they please—that's really the heart of idolatry as well. That's why we build our idols because we want—we want them to give us what we perceive that we need, what we desire, to even to gain permission. So we honor, we love, uh, we serve these idols in order to obtain something, not simply because they deserve to be worshipped, in for inherently, right? Like God is to be worshipped simply because he's God, not because of what he can do, not because of what he can give, just because he is who he is. That's inherent. He deserves to be worshipped. And as creatures, we owe him that worship, not the creation which we end up doing. We owe him that, our worship. But see, that's, that's exactly what... People do, is they replace that worship to God owes with something else and with someone else. That's something we need to resist. You know what? One day, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to know that they knew the true and living God. That's what scripture teaches. Just go even through scripture. Anytime God reveals himself to somebody, whether it's in the Old Testament or New Testament, what's the reaction? They know him and they instinctively bow down and they instinctively worship him because they know. And people are going to know that they knew him all along. So that's the thing. We we give that. He's worshipped because of who he is, not simply because what he can give and do. Everything else you worship, you you want something from that. So if it's another person, I want something from you. I want your love. I want your obedience. I want whatever. I want you to take care of me. If we worship uh, or look for something, if it's it's money, right? We want that. That's going to give us fulfillment. That's going to give us satisfaction. We always want something from the things that we worship. Right? That's why we do that, in order to get something back. That says, no, God inherently deserves worship because of who he is, and that's it. What we get from him is just gravy. That's just the extra. That's just his love poured out to us, but he deserves our worship. But every false system, every false religion, every false philosophy is being worshiped in order for you to get something back from that. Yeah? And we love to construct it in ways uh, that uniquely meet our desires as well. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament, ancient history to modern day, this exchange has taken place. This exchange is taking place now. We can see it very plainly. This is the truth of Scripture. Idols in the place of God. Worship to meet needs, fulfill desires, give permission, as it were, to justify our sins. That stands in stark contrast to Scripture. Stark contrast to His holiness. Antithetical to His righteousness. And yet that's what we do all the time. There are several ways in which we do this, which we take our idols, which we fashion them, so we kind of get from them what we want or what we think we want and what we think we need instead of worshiping the true and living God. That's why he says they exchange, you make that trade. We don't want you, God. Maybe parts of what you can offer, but we don't want you. Here's what we really, really want. And we see this throughout the Old Testament time, New Testament time, up to the present day. And there are several, we can consider several illustrations. I'm just going to give you two this morning. There are others that we could do where we take these idols and we construct them so we don't have to honor and worship the true and living God. And we can kind of have justification for doing the things that we want to do in our own lives or what we think we need. And we see this um, in in several ways, just two this way. Notice, false. when you exchange the truth of God for a lie, False idols, religions, they give you permission to do certain things, and they justify certain things. Number one, they justify things like hatred, mistreatment, vengeance, neglect, partiality, violence, often in the name of justice. That's exactly what false religions do and idols do for us in one way. Remember, God warned Israel. He said, stay away from those nations near you because here's what they're like. Um, if you want to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12, we'll just read a couple of passages Deuteronomy 12 and verses 29 through 32. Here's the warning for God against idolatry because he knew his people would be tempted. This is Deuteronomy. We could look at many, many scriptures. We'll just look at a couple this morning. Deuteronomy 12, beginning in verse 29. It says this, the Lord says, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you do not that you be not ensnared in following them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you may not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That I also may do the same. You shall not war you shall worship I'm sorry, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomin- abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to or take away from it. Do you see the warning there? Because there's that temptation to, to I'm going to put my God away, and here's what I'm going to do. Then also, in chapter 18, Deuteronomy 18. Just a couple pages over, beginning in verse nine. And when you come into the land the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter in an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortune or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers, to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. You see that idea? This is what we do. We set up our gods and we look to our gods to, to, to learn from them, to get things that we want, to bring us that joy, that peace, that com- something that's lacking in our lives. This is why we construct our gods. That's what's behind it. And oftentimes they justify the most evil and vile things, right? So those men, if you read about the Canaanites, the Assyrians later on, they justified that brutality, that violence, going, killing, raping, pillaging, taking over in the name of their own gods, and that's what they did. Often in the name of justice, they do the same thing today. That's what's behind. This is that that exchange that's made. The false gods, the idols are there, oftentimes justify the most sinful and heinous behavior. We need to be careful of that as Christians. We're not, um, in in periods of, of Christianity, we've been guilty of that too. So we need to be really careful. But pure, true, biblical Christianity does not allow for those things. But that's what's behind, that idea of exchanging the truth for a lie to justify our sin to satisfy our lusts, right? That's what's behind jihad with the Muslims. That's why they can go kill, rape, pillage, whatever they do in the name of their God because you're an infidel and you deserve it. That's what's behind the caste system with the Hindus. That's why I could pass you by on the street when you're there because you must have done something bad with the karma in your life and that needs to be worked out. Through your, so you're not even owed my mercy, or you don't even deserve my mercy. You need to suffer through that till you build yourself back up. See, those gods that we serve justify this kind of wicked, sinful, antithetical behavior to the Lord. But that's an exchange that's made all the time. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we preach it. That's why people are lost in sin. Abortion, euthanasia, corruption of all kinds. The worst kind of corruption, brutality, partiality among the secularists. Guess what, beloved? That's where we find ourselves right now. That's our context. We are among the secularists. We're among the materialists. This is the way that they think. This is the context that we find ourselves in, and that's why it's okay to brutalize, to murder, to condemn those who go against what you want because they've set up their own gods that they're serving and that justify the things that they desire in their heart of hearts. And it's always antithetical towards God. So the more you bring God into the picture, the more they're going to love you, the more they're going to accept you, the more they're going to bring you in. No. The more they're going to hate you, the more they're going to despise you, the more they want to get rid of you. That's it because they've made the exchange, the truth for a lie. And when you bring that light of truth, that's right, and that's where we are finding ourselves right now. This is exactly, this is why that we're living in such a brutal, wicked society with no bounds in any way, right? They're justifying all kinds of wickedness in the name of their gods, in the name of their religion. And if you stand up against that with the truth, then you're the one who is the intolerant one who needs to be punished. Even in the church, the church is not immune. The progressive church, which is among us, all around us, Uh, The liberal church, there is a disdain for conservative Christianity, for the things that we preach, for the things that we teach. It just is, right? You're mean-spirited, you're intolerant, you're fundamentalists, you're Christian nationalists, if you believe what the scripture plainly teaches. That's the idea. And so it finds itself in the church. So even in the church, we can construct false gods out of the true God and serve that God just of love, just of mercy, just of acceptance, just of affirmation. That's idolatry, man, because now you're not bringing, you're not worshiping the true and living God, but you're doing it in the name of God in that way. Christianity doesn't allow for that. Paul says we have the truth and we stand on that truth. We are to show impartiality. We are to show true justice, love, mercy, kindness. We are to pray for our enemies. We are to preach the gospel in that way. A false idol is always going to give you justification for the things that you desire to do, no matter how sinful and how wicked they are. Do you understand that? That's what's... And it's not giving glory to God. It's taking away from his glory. We need to understand that. That's one. And the second illustration I'll use, uh, just as we... Move move through this. Is this idolatry? This exchange that takes place gives justification not only for that kind of brutality, that hatred, those kinds of things that that ought not be in that way. Also gives, and it's just so plain. Like you could kind of track it through scripture as well. Justification for sexual immorality—that's a big deal. The gods, the false gods that we exchange for the true God always kind of give a justification for that sexual immorality. You know, in the scripture, the high places in the Old Testament, you've heard of the high places. I know that many of you have. Those are elevated. That's elevated ground where they would go to worship the false gods. Israel had gotten caught up in this many times through their history. They would they would buy in. They did what God told them not to do, what we just read in Deuteronomy. They ended up giving in and um, being attracted by the false gods. And so they would even join in that idolatry and that sinfulness because they wanted to do what they wanted to do. So we always construct our God to give us justification, to give us permission to do the things that we ought not do and to to not acknowledge a true and living God. So that's, that's why we serve those idols. So the high places in scripture was just elevated ground, man. And much of what went on there, there was all kinds of worship that went on, false worship that went on, but they also had fertility deities and in those high places, you would have, this is really gross, the high priests and the, and the temple prostitutes would have sexual intercourse on these high places so the gods could look down and see them and watch them and give them glory to It was a way that they worship God. See the justification that we have? When you exchange the truth of God for a wicked lie, you can justify anything. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here in Romans 1. You've exchanged the glory of God. You've worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. The Greeks... The Romans, when, when Christianity was coming in, they, they had the multiple deities and gods, so many of them, hundreds of them, maybe even thousands of them, were gods connected to fertility, and, de- and, and you know sexuality in that way. Aphrodite, beauty, love, pleasure, sexuality, Artemis, Aphra, Bacchus. Did you ever hear of Bacchanal if you're a little bit older? That's a Bacchanal. That's that's that god of a sex god, a fertility god, Venus, permission to practice uninhibited sex, that's what these were. And it was grotesque. I had a couple of slides, we I don't have them this morning, but you could see some of these gods and just how grotesque they are. But they're the ones that give that kind of permission. You exchange a truth for a lie, it makes it okay to do these kinds of things. Today, among the secular, secularists, where we live, where we are in our context, you think it's much different than it was back then? No, it's not. That exchange continues. This is why we need the gospel. This is why we preach it. This is why our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, because of these very things. The seculars today, the naturalism, naturalism the exchange for God, for man, right? That that idol that we, we put in that place, nature and science. What's the result of that? We have permission to do whatever we want, don't we, from our false gods. We live in an extremely sexualized, sex-saturated, sex-obsessed, sexually-driven Society, don't we? We just do. It's everywhere. You can't. The dress, the commercials, the movies, the music, the shows. It doesn't matter. The the casual conversations, the double entendres. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere we go. We might not have high places today, but we do have the internet, right? And we have porn and hookup sites galore on the internet. We talked about this not too long ago. Every, uh, we live in such a permissive culture where almost every perversion is not only tolerated, but it's celebrated. What's the difference now that's going on now that wasn't going on back then? And we look back and say, well, how can those people do that? How can those people burn their kids in the fire when we're aborting thousands of kids a day? How can those people live like that in that gross, perverted way when we're doing the very same things today? Because we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And when you build your idols, when you construct your idols, you can justify any kind of behavior with that's the way it is. So for the naturalist, hey, this is natural for us. We're sexual beings, so we could do whatever we want. Don't tell, we're not going to be constrained by your fuddy-duddy, stiff, stifling religion. We're free to express ourselves. We're free to do what we want. The exchange has taken place. So they're going to worship and serve their idols that say, it's okay. Instead of the true and living God that says, no, 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 here's the context for that. Here's the context for sexual relations, within marriage, man, woman, life for life. That's the context. That's the That's where the beauty lies. That's where it's at. But we don't want that. So we're going to reject that. We're going to suppress that. We're going to exchange that for someone, something else. Our idols are constructed to give us what we want, to give us permission, to give us justification. That's what it is. And again, we can make idols out of anything, but at the bottom line, that's why we serve them. Because we're looking to them to give us something that only God can give us, truly and deeply. But we think that we can obtain it through these other other things. I was also going to talk about the self-satisfying nature of these idols, the indulgent nature of these idols, the greedy nature, but we don't really have time for that today. But our idols are constructed to give us what we want, to give us that permission. And when you tell them that, when you tell them that's not what God intends, that's not what God desires. That's what God forbids. That's what God despises you. They're not going to love you. Right? They're not even going to like you very much. Because now you're messing with their gods. Now you're, you're intruding in that place in their heart. That's where their heart is. That's where their devotion is. That's where their hope is. If I can only have more of this, if I can only do more of that, then I'll find satisfaction, hope, and happiness. Our job is to say no. It's only in Jesus Christ alone. Those idols that you serve, are empty. They can't give you what God gives you. Amen. Only God can give you that hope and that peace. But when you tell them that, that's the hard thing. But that's the day we find That's the time we find ourselves in right now. Even within the church. Again, the progressives, the liberals in the church, you'll find that the loving thing, the Christian thing, is to express deep, deep understanding. And not just understanding, not just empathy, not just toleration, but affirmation, affirmation, especially towards same sex, especially towards um, trans, so go in many churches, drive by many churches today that have, that have exchanged the truth of God for a lie that worship and serve the crea- creature rather than the creator, and you'll see it. the churches with the flags, the churches that say everyone is welcome here, that's code for that we're not going to even present the gospel to you. Of course everyone's welcome here. Everybody's welcome here, right? You're going to hear the word preached, but you're welcome here. What those churches do when you say everyone is welcome here, that's code to say you're welcome here, we're cool with you, we're not even going to try to intrude on your worldview on that exchange that you've made. We're going to affirm you in that life, right? In the churches today, again, that's that's idolatry. That's another God that they're serving in the name of the true and living God coming to another church that stands on the Bible well you have nothing but harsh things to say right your perspective you're you're unloving you're uncaring which isn't true when you just bring out God's design and God's intention for this thing so we build these idols you can make an idol out of the true and living God by by stripping him of his attributes of his nature so you have thousands and thousands of people that go to church hear about God, they're kind of around God, but their lives do not reflect that. And they think it's okay to do certain things. They think it's okay to to go out and party and have a great time just as long as you're in church on Sunday. You can go and live the kind of life that you want to live just as long as you're in church on Sunday. That's another God that they're serving. You understand? Not the true and living. They've made that exchange. And people know this. They know the true and living God. Worship. I want you to hear this. Worship Is not done in order to receive necessarily. It's not done in order. We don't worship just to receive from God. You know, oh help, you know, Lord, give me this because I'm doing this for you. Worship is not to receive, but it's to give. We give our worship to the Lord. When you come before Him, you give Him yourself. You give Him honor. You give Him reverence. You give Him glory. You give him the obedience that he deserves because of who he is. That's it. So when we come to worship him, you give yourself. You know? So many people are going to church today to get, get, get. And there's not, there is getting to be sure. But our idea, the idea is that we give worship without expecting anything in return because he deserves it because of who he is. That's it. So you give your heart, you give your soul, you come, you sing, you read, you listen, you pray to our God because he deserves it in and of himself because of who he is. We worship simply because of who he is. And yes, as we worship him, he's able to give you that which no idol can ever give you. And if you're a Christian this morning, you know that. He's able to give you true salvation. Not the false salvation that these idols promised, the freedom that you could have to do this, to do that. That's a trap. Talk to anybody who's trapped in addiction. Talk to anybody who's trapped with porn. Talk to anybody who's trapped in some sin where freedom was promised. They've made that exchange. And you'll see that it becomes a cruel master. It doesn't liberate. It doesn't save you from anything. He alone gives true salvation. He alone gives true fulfillment. Talk to the richest person you know that's been chasing money all their lives, has everything they want, and see how wonderfully happy and content they really are. Oh, they can get anything they want, but in their heart of hearts, they're scared. So many. Not all. I mean, some people are still under the delusion that you know, money is everything and they can you know just enjoy life. They see it what's a Brett Favre after he won the Super Bowl in that time? What did he say? Now what? No, Tom Brady. Now what? Now what do I do? You know, you've reached the pinnacle and there's still that emptiness. Talk to those people that have made it in business and movies and whatever and so many of them will say, okay, I made it but I'm still empty. It's not what I thought it would be. I could do what I want but it's still and then oftentimes it becomes more of a trap. You end up serving that idol, right? Not it's serving you, not giving you fulfillment but you end up serving that. Again, talk to many, many people who were maybe poor and then they're very, very wealthy. They're as tight as can be. <laughs> they're not going to give anything because they don't want to lose anything. Right? I know where I came from and I don't ever want to go back there, right? So, you know, you think, oh, if I had money, I would do this, I would do that. If I won that lottery the other night, we would pay all your bills. We Would, would you really? After you get that money, well, maybe not, you know, I don't know. Do you really need that much? That's what we're like. That's a tendency. You think these idols are going to save you. You think they're going to free you they trap you, they ensnare you, they you're serving Satan in that way. That's all in the end, because that's really where they come from. You won't know true fulfillment, you won't be truly satisfied. As a Christian, you should be truly satisfied no matter what. Paul said, whether I have a lot, I'm satisfied, I know how to get along with a little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you're serving an idol, once that satisfaction is gone, once you get to that place where I've seen people that have been addicted to porn and to sexual sin in that way, they're a mess, and they're just like it's. There's really nothing there in their lives, and they're just they're they're ruined by it, right? There's no satisfaction there. It's it's a trap. It's, it's just something that, you know, that, that ensnares them in that way. There's no abiding joy. Our joy is in Jesus Christ. It's not in the world. It's not in the idols. It's not what the world can give us. It doesn't matter if they take everything from us. You can't take that joy away because we have it in Christ. His joy is abiding. You know, you know people that are depending on things going so well in their lives. Without that, well, now my joy is gone. Because you've constructed an idol. You've exchanged the truth for a lie. You've worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You will not have lasting peace. What could take your peace away? What's the worst thing they could ever do to you for following Christ? They can kill you. Okay, now you're in heaven with Christ. What's better than that? For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. When it comes down to it, that's our perspective. That's our worldview. I'm not saying we're already, oh yeah, come and get me, come and kill me. But you know what? You can't take that away from us because that peace that passes all understanding abides upon us through the Holy Spirit and God. Amen? Praise God. Doesn't mean we don't feel hurt and pain and difficulty. Of course we do, but we have that peace. If you're looking for anything else or anyone else to give you peace, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Only Christ can give you that. Your false idols can't do that. Satan wants you to worship his false idols. There's pleasure up front, but there's always a price to pay in the behind. Right? Doesn't matter. We know this. So this is the You can't. Have, you can't have that lasting peace, and you can't have lasting hope apart from Him. Again, we we bury ourselves with all the pleasures of the world, all the excitements, all the busyness of work, all this and all that. We don't really think about not just this life, but the life to come. What ultimate hope do people have? Their idols are going to tell them, oh, it's okay, you'll know, you come back again if you're a Buddhist or Hindu. You'll come back again, and so you'll just be reincarnated until that's kind of the hope that, that lies there for them. Muslim hope, I don't know, maybe if God's okay with me, if I've done enough, right? Perhaps, but I I can't be sure. New age spiritualism. Oh, we'll just kind of be somewhere. Maybe we're angels. You don't have that hope of eternal life. As Christians, we have that sure hope because the God who created, the God who made us, gives us hope in him and for all eternity. Do you understand that? Ultimately, the exchange is a means of you trying to obtain what your heart desires the most. That's all that is. You worship in order to receive, to get something, to gain permission, to do what you want to do, to justify your sinful pursuits and action, and most of all, to justify your rejection of the true and living God. That's what it is. It's a rejection of the true and living God. I have this idol here. I don't need him over there. I got my work. I got my life. I got my girl. I got my guy. I got whatever I have. I have my house. I have my boat. Right? You're trading in. You're exchanging the truth. I have my way. I have my path. I have my religion. You're trading the truth in for a lie. You're rejecting God. And that's what Paul is getting at through this whole section. You've rejected him. You know him through creation. He's clearly seen. You don't honor. You don't give thanks. You're foolish in your hearts. You 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 exchange the glory of God for images. You worship and serve the creature rather than the creation. It's not to be received. Remember that. worship You don't worship to receive. Oh God, oh God, please let me. I mean, we could pray to receive and he gives more than we could ever ask for as we trust in him. And he always gives us what we need and he always gives us enough, but that's not the end goal. Please, I'm saying this over and over again today because I want you to get it. False religion always worships to get. We worship to give. Give ourselves, give our hearts, give our lives, give our honor, give our glory, no matter what. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will worship him. I will not stop worshiping him. I will not stop honoring him. I will not stop preaching the word no matter what you threaten to do to me. That's what he's owed because he is God. We can never stop that. Once we do, we've constructed a false God. We've, we've exchanged the truth for a lie. We cannot, we will not do that. He is owed all your reverence, all your obedience. Everybody owes him that. Everybody, anywhere you go. Nobody says, well, I worship over here. Okay, that's fine. As long as you're sincere and you worship that, that's good. Are you going to say that to somebody who's a Christian? No, you're going to say there's one true and living God who who alone is worthy of worship, honor, glory, because he made you. He made Everything else is derivative. Nothing else can save. Only he is able to do that. That's why Paul's adamant. And like I said before, everybody's going to know that they knew when they stand before him because they're going to bow down and worship him even though they've denied him. We worship him simply because of who he is. And yes, he's able to give you all that you need. Everything that no idol can ever give you. No true salvation, no true fulfillment, no true satisfaction, no abiding joy, no lasting peace, no hope, not only for this life but for all eternity. Only our God. And that's what Paul is saying. He's making that point, saying this is why you need him. This is why we need to preach it This is why we don't capitulate. This is why we don't compromise. This is why we're bold. We preach it. We must. I'll just close with this. Um, Yesterday I was at my office at Panera down at Southland, and I was leaving, and there was an older man. He had a speaker. He just impressed me so much. He's just this older guy, long beard, I saw his car was all filled with bumper stickers about, you know, Jesus coming. And he was preaching and he was just preaching and he was just saying, I mean, you would think he's a kook. And that's like the first thought that went in my mind, like this guy's a kook. No, he's not a kook. He's preaching the gospel that people need to hear. And he was saying, you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? You will not. You're under judgment unless you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You think you're. He was he was just preaching. I listened to him for like five minutes, and in that five minutes that I was listening to him, people were going by and shouting profanities at him and saying things that ought not to be said. And one of the things he said, you know, you looking at porn, do you think that that's going to bring satisfaction? And one guy said, I'm sure you look at porn too. You know, getting on. just He just kept preaching. He just kept, and the more I saw that, I I went from, this guy's, in my first thought, you know, this guy's crazy. He's a good, no. He's a servant of God who's preaching the gospel of Christ, tre- preaching the true God and confronting those idols that man constructs and, and shaking up their world in that way. And I drove by, and when I went by, I gave him a thumbs up. And he acknowledged, he gave me a little smile, but I was, I was impressed, duly impressed by his boldness to do what ought to be done.